0: I'm Jeff Smith, and welcome to The Secrets of Success. Throughout my life, I've been fascinated by one single question, and it's how do successful people become successful? What is it that makes that big difference in our lives? Over the last 40 years, I've interviewed rich people, famous people, and many millionaires to find out their secrets of success. And my aim here is to share their secrets with you. Of course, success is not always measured in money. And in these programs, I'm looking at many different success stories from people in all walks of life. I want to find out what makes them tick, how they overcame adversity to keep on going when times get tough, And I want to extract those magical nuggets of wisdom so that you too can implement the secrets of success into your own life. In today's episode, I'm talking with Robert Kerbeck. Robert who you might say? So in the 1990s, Robert had built for himself what most would consider a respectable acting career, but it wasn't making him enough money to live the lifestyle That he wanted to live as that's the case with most actors so robert got himself a side gig this is where it gets fascinating that sidekick was to become a spy yes he got paid for tricking people inside million dollar corporations and he tricked them into telling him things they definitely should not be telling He charmed eager-to-please assistants, gaining their trust, along with total access to companies' most valuable information. His once-promising acting career tailed off as he burrowed deeper and deeper into the world of corporate espionage, to the point where he jumped from tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands, and then to earning millions of dollars a year as a spy his new book called ruse which is his memoir has been released and is set to become a hollywood movie this is going to be one fascinating chat so let's bring in the amazing man himself welcome to the show robert kerbeck
1: thank you jeff thanks for that wonderful introduction it's funny you know when you were you're talking about the millions that i made you know you know at you know as i got in deeper into corporate spying and uh it still surprises me you know and um maybe your audience again will be like wow you know i didn't even know there was corporate spying let alone that you could make millions of dollars doing it it fascinated
0: me i mean when we had our pre-chats i mean Corporate spy? What on earth is a corporate spy? Well, I can't find out to find more about your amazing life in espionage. Of course, the book that's newly been released. But before we do that, I need to put some context around it all, Robert. So, a little bit about your early life. Where were you born? What was life like for you as a child? And what were your dreams and your aspirations as you were growing up?
1: Mm, Great question. So, uh, my hometown is Philadelphia. And the Kerbeck name is well known in the Philadelphia area because my family um, and my cousins to this day are major car dealers. Uh, My great-grandfather... Um, sold horse carriages before automobiles were invented, switched over to cars, became one of the first car dealers in Philadelphia. My grandfather took over that dealership. My father took over that dealership and I was supposed to take over that dealership. And I knew throughout my childhood, I was the oldest son, that that was what I was supposed to do. That was my future. And so I think I didn't think a whole lot about what else I could do because that was, you know, the writing was on the wall. That was what I was supposed to do.
0: So why didn't you? What happened? <laughs> Why would well, anybody not want to go into the automotive industry?
1: Says me as a person who works in the automotive industry. I know. It's so funny. That's such a wonderful coincidence. We Indeed have, right? it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, I fell in love with uh, acting um, in college. Um, I, you know, went to college um, and um, quite frankly, I wanted to meet young women And, um, I had never done a play before and, and, and somebody suggested to me, or I don't know, you know, it just, you know, if you want to meet pretty young women, get involved with the theater. And whoever told me that they were right. Um, and, uh, so I started doing plays and I, to my, and of course I did fall in love with a beautiful young woman, um, but I also fell in love with acting and I fell in love with the people in the theater. Um, and to my surprise, I started getting hired as the lead um, in all of these uh, university plays, and I went to the University of Pennsylvania, which is an Ivy League school, and and you know it w- these were not insignificant plays. Many of these people went on to have big careers in film um, and theater as actors and directors. And I kept getting hired to do the leads in these plays, and so all of a sudden it made me want to move to New York. Obviously, Philadelphia is close to New York, but the idea of being an artist was so frightening. No one in my family had ever been an artist of of any shape or form. And so when I graduated, I went to work for my dad in the car business. And um, while I liked some of it, um, it it just didn't feel right for me. It didn't feel like that was my path. Also, the trickery of car sales kind of felt a little funny to me, um, which soon turned out to be pretty ironic uh, when I moved to New York and I needed a survival job. And who stumbles into a career as a corporate spy? But that's what happened to me.
0: Okay. Just before we get into the corporate spy, what kind of acting was your thing? What what genre did you like?
1: Well, you know, um, I loved the theater. That's where I started in, you know, doing plays. And then when I first got to New York, um, I did many uh, wonderful plays, um, starring opposite people whose names you know quite well. I did a play um, opposite James Gandolfini, the star of The Sopranos. I did a play starting with Callista Flockhart, who, you know, is married to Harrison Ford. Um, I became a member of the Actors Studio, uh, which is a world-renowned place. The, some of the most famous actors of our time, that's where they trained. Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Marlon Brando, Marilyn Monroe. Um, and um, did a play at the Actors Studio. Uh, Paul Newman afterwards came backstage and congratulated me. And then shortly thereafter, he and Joanne Woodward had me up to their palatial Upper East Side, you know, penthouse um, to talk about my career. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of great stuff happening with the acting. And so I, that, that was my first love was theater. And then, of course, later, and we can talk about this um, as, as we go on. But later I moved to Los Angeles and did a lot of TV stuff. Okay.
0: Okay. So you fell into becoming a corporate spy. So... First of all, can you please explain what is a corporate spy?
1: Yeah. So, you know, we all know the Russians uh, spy on the Chinese and the Chinese spy on us. But what most people are shocked to find out is that major corporations and not just American corporations, but corporations all over the world are spending hundreds of millions of dollars a year to spy on each other. And so they hire spies to find out secrets about their top rivals. Um, And those secrets can run the gamut of, of you know, you know, basically, you know, who the top performers are at a rival, you know, who the rock stars are, which is very valuable information. You think about it, if you can steal, you know, the top people from your rival and bring them to your firm, it, it can be a game changer. You know, I'm a big American football fan And a few years ago, you know, Tom Brady, you know, was taken from the New England Patriots. He went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What happened? They won a Super Bowl because they got that that top talent, that quarterback. Same thing in corporate America. If you can steal the top salesperson, the top trader, the top banker, the top designer, the top developer, it can be a game changer. And then, of course, we would also find out stuff about you know, firms plans, you know, their strategies, you know, were they expanding, were they opening into new offices? Did they have a new product coming out? What was the new product? What were they pricing the product? Who were their clients? How much were their clients paying them? All of these kind of corporate secrets, which would give their rivals basically, you know, the game plan, again, going back to sports. If you could have the game plan on your rival two or three days before the big game, you knew everything they were going to do, every play they were going to run. How valuable would that be? And that's what corporations were hiring spies to find out.
0: Fascinating. We'll get into more into that in a moment. But you accidentally fell into it, you say. Mm-hmm. So how did this happen? Surely someone doesn't come up to you and say, hey, you want to be a spy? No. So- <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. no. There are no job postings, you know, there are no advertisements, no. <laughs> So, um, so
0: what happened? What happened in your case?
1: Yeah. So when I moved to New York, finally, you know, I, I needed a job. I, I didn't have the patience to be a waiter. I wasn't a late night guy. So bartending was out. And I only knew one person in New York. And one day he mentioned this job. And then as soon as he mentioned it, he shut up like he had, he had been told not to talk about it, but he had slipped. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, what is this job? Um, um, you know, help me out. I'm broke. I need a job. And He said, "Well, you know, I, I, you know, I can't really talk about it, but you know, maybe I can get you an interview." And so he did. He got me an interview. I went um, up to this woman's place. You know, um, she lived on the Upper East Side. Um, For your listeners, the Upper East Side is kind of the wealthiest area of Manhattan. It's old money Manhattan. I go to a doorman building. You know, go to the penthouse. I was living in Hell's Kitchen in a cave with two other guys. And my um, this woman opens the door and ushers me into the nicest apartment I'd ever been in. Um, apartment doesn't even do it. You know, describe it. it you know, it's a penthouse, you know, know, so it's luxury. So I knew whatever this woman was doing, it was incredibly lucrative. And um, we have this very strange interview. She never asks me about my skills. Um, she never tells me anything about the job. Um, she sends me on my way. Um, I'm pretty sure I I blew it. I didn't get the job, And my buddy calls. He says, you're hired, but don't get too excited because no one is able to do this job. And the next day, I went out to Brooklyn um, to begin training. And um, this woman, this beautiful woman, opens the door and she ushers me into her apartment. And she says, come on, you'll work in my bedroom. Um, I still had no idea what the job was. <laughs> But I was a young single guy. So, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't complaining. And, um, she takes me into her bedroom, which consisted of a futon on the floor and a desk. She says, sit down at the desk. And she says, um, what we do is we call major corporations and we use our acting skills, voices, characters, accents, personas to trick people to release private and secret corporate information that we then sell to our clients and that was the beginning of my training as a corporate spy okay the acting part
0: i Mm get, and i i understand we'll talk more about that in a moment so i guess these people who hired you only hired
1: actors the woman who had this firm only hired actors. And indeed, even, even more than just actors, she only hired women. My buddy and I were the first men she, she ever hired, and then she never hired another guy because she felt that women made better spies. And um, not too long ago, I did a, a, an in-person event with former CIA spy Valerie Plame. You may remember she was outed by the Bush administration in the early 2000s and they made a movie of her story with Naomi Watts and Sean Penn called Fair Game. And I'm on this panel with Valerie. And Valerie says, Of course women make better spies. Uh and and I, I said, Well, why? You know, and she said, Because women are able to reflect and deflect better than men. That they don't get their ego involved, you know, they don't get their backup, you know, they don't get their, you know, machismo involved. And so they're able to be more chameleon-like. And I think it was true. You know, in the beginning, the, the women that were doing the job, the spying, they were far more successful than, than me and my buddy were. And we had to work very hard to develop our own path to becoming successful um, corporate spies. I, I still find this fascinating. I understand it.
0: But here you are, you're in a room in isolation. You pick up the telephone. You're pretending to be someone else and doing it very well using your acting skills. You speak with someone on the telephone who you don't know and you've never met. How on earth do you get them to trust you, believe you, and get them to share with you these powerful secrets? How long does it take and how long, how does it work?
1: Great question. And, you know, um, recently I, you know, the, Uh, there was an article published about me and um, the article had comments, you know, and I made the mistake of reading some of the comments and one of the commenters um, was saying, Oh, there's no way this is true. There's no way that people inside major corporations would give this information, let alone talk to this guy for, you know, sometimes I would be on the phone with people for half an hour. And in some cases, an hour people would be giving me information for an hour. And they were saying, This is made up. This is preposterous. This is impossible. And I laughed so hard at that person's, um, how naive they were. And quite frankly, that person was a perfect target for me to call and get information from because. It's that type of hubris, it's that type of overconfidence that gets corporations in trouble today with this type of social engineering, which still goes on, and this type of social engineering, which often results in cybercrime and ransomware attacks. Um, so going back to your question, what I would do is I would make you, I would be your best friend, your best friend, the best friend you ever had, and if that didn't work, I would turn into your worst enemy right? So if I'm calling you, and of course, I'm pretending to be someone that really exists. So if I'm calling you, um, and for example, you know, this is Gerhard calling from the office in Frankfurt, Germany. We have the European Union regulators here. We need some information from the States. And all of a sudden the person goes, oh, Gerhard. Now they're going to recognize the name because I, I choose someone who's senior enough that they know, but not, not someone that they are going to have a regular relationship with. So now I'm portraying myself as someone in their European office. And remember, firms now have offices all over the world. Tokyo, Hong Kong, Dallas, Charlotte, San Francisco, you know, uh, Dublin, everywhere. Right. So. So all of a sudden, and maybe they look me up on the, the firm's internal directory and they go, Oh, and they see Gerhard Mannheim, Senior Vice President Compliance, Senior Vice President Legal, you know, Chief Operating Officer, European Operations, whatever. And they go, Oh, 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 hey, Gerhard, nice to meet you. How's it going, buddy? Oh, you know, they're having some the trouble. They have the European Union. They are breathing down on necks. So if you need, you know, Oh, sure. Hey, hey, you know, uh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm site at the office and they are so, so difficult, you know, whatever I'm saying so that now, I, uh, they're, I'm making it seem like it's an emergency. Mm-hmm. There's a crisis. You know, our, our company's in trouble. The stock price is in trouble. The regulators are going to cite us. They're going to, you know, whatever to make this person go, wow, I need to help this guy. And they've already looked me up. They verified who I am. Are they thinking that some actor has put on a German accent and is pretending to be the head of compliance for the European division? No. So you know how many times people said nine to Gerhardt? Never. You know, and indeed they're like you are when you first heard the accent, what did you do? You smiled and you laughed. Right. Because all of a sudden it's like it's like it's like a fun thing in their day. Like, oh, this is crazy. I got the, the guy from Germany on the phone. Right. And so we're using that, you know, the more outlandish our ploys or our ruses were, hence the title of my book, Ruse. You know, we had all these different ruses. The crazier the ruse was, the more outlandish the ruse was the more believable it became. It was very counterintuitive. The crazier the story, the more believable it was. And so people now are like, what are people what are people taught in the corporate world? Be a good teammate, right? You know, you know, help out the corporation, you know. And so if there's an emergency, a corporate emergency, what are people going to do? They're going to help you and they're going to tell you whatever you want to know. You know, I was just
0: reading a novel And in this novel, it kind of hit me that burglaries and things like this are so infrequent now because the amount of money to be made at that kind of theft is tiny compared with what you're talking about. Data theft, cybercrime and things like that. And people scamming, that's where all of the the bigger money is now made. I find this fascinating. I find it humorous. I find it funny. But what comes to mind now is how did you rationalize what Mm. you did as a spy and a thief? How did you come to terms with this in your conscience?
1: Sure. Great question. In the beginning, we were getting eight dollars an hour and we were actors. The job was, you know, temporary until we became famous, um, you know, and I was, you know, fairly close <laughs> to having that happen. Um, you know, I did over 50 major TV shows, Melrose Place, Star Trek, ER, Chicago, Hope, you know, on and on. Um, so we we rationalized it and and. In the beginning, you know, we were calling mainly Wall Street companies. Later we branched out into other industries, but in the beginning, we were calling mainly calling Wall Street firms. A lot of the information we were getting again was about talent, was identifying talent. One of the reviews of, of my book said that I was LinkedIn before LinkedIn was invented. So a lot of the information we were getting was related to talent, which nobody really could get before LinkedIn. And so people would be getting better jobs as a result of the information that we determined because we would be selling these organizational charts, identifying who the top people were at XYZ firm. And then the other firm then would be stealing and poaching those people. So we were like, well, look, we're helping get people better jobs. How could that be a bad thing? Now, again, these are rationalizations. I'm not justifying it, but those were the rationalizations that we used in the beginning later on. As I started to make more and more money and and I all of a sudden my acting career kind of waned and I went deeper into the world of corporate espionage, I justified it because, you know, again, you know, am I going to feel did I feel uh, bad for Goldman Sachs that I was dinging Goldman Sachs or Wells Fargo or JP Morgan or all these giant financial institutions that over and over have dinged consumers, have opened multiple accounts in people's names, have you know, you can make a pretty good argument that um, Wall Street, the greed of Wall Street was directly responsible for the crash of 2008. So those were some of the things that were in my head um, later on about, you know what, you know, boohoo for Wall Street, you know, boohoo for corporate America. You know, they're making millions. These people get bonuses of five million, 10 million, 20 million, 50 million. Uh, why shouldn't I make a little bit of money off that, too? And again, that's not to say it's right because it was not. Uh, but those are the rationalizations that i used i get that was it legal robert another great question you know uh at one point we went and we met with an attorney and he said that what you're doing is in the gray the dark gray the very dark gray (laughs) (laughs) on the edge (laughs) right and uh he said look you know um you're likely going to run you know into some trouble along the way and you know i don't want to spoil it for any anyone that might want to pick up the book uh buy the book read the book or listen to it on audible um but you know we had a number of uh hair raising close calls okay did you ever get arrested uh, by the grace of God and by a series of very fortuitous uh, escapes, I did not. Um, but at one point, we were being hunted by uh, a laundry list of agencies, most of which had three letters in their names. <laughs> I think
0: I can guess what the who those agencies are. Here's an interesting one then. So you've learned some fascinating skills here. Hmm very influential manipulative Mm -hmm. did you ever
1: use them in your personal life Uh, Jeff you're killing me with these questions Uh, (laughs) uh, that you know there were there were two lines that I drew in terms of the ruse Um, the first one was I'm getting all these secrets about corporations and of course We're getting people on the phone. Uh, And by the way, in the beginning, we did go in person. We actually went in person to do some spying. But here's the incredible thing. We learned very quickly that we could get far more information using the anonymity of the good old fashioned phone call, which, by the way, exists today, is alive and well today. Because when you are able to develop that relationship over the phone, people can't see you. There's a, a strange kind of trust that goes on. It's like, you know, when you meet a stranger on a train and all of a sudden you're, you're telling them your life story because you know, you're never going to see them again. You know, you know, and it was the same thing with these phone calls. So, so we quickly learned there was no need to go in person, which of course was far more dangerous. Um, and so we, we really focused on the rusing on the phone. Um, and once you get somebody talking, and that was why I brought up that comment earlier, you know, when you get somebody talking, you cannot get them to stop oftentimes. And people will be on the phone with you and they will tell you stuff that they should never tell you. Not only corporate secrets, but secrets about individuals at the corporation who was having an affair, who had a drug problem, who had just come out of rehab, who had had a drunk driving accident, all of these incredible things. And then finally, the biggest thing that we would occasionally stumble upon were things about deals that were going down in terms of acquisitions. Um And that was where I drew one of the lines is I was never going to trade. In other words, insider trading, I was never going to trade on anything that I learned because I knew that was like for sure you were going to go down for insider trading. Like rusing, <laughs> if you were good and you were careful, you, you might get away with it. But insider trading, they even got Martha Stewart for insider trading, and she went to jail. And so I was never going to trade. So that was one line. And the other line, I was not going to use rusing in my personal life because I just felt like once I crossed that line, if I started, you know, learning stuff about my neighbor or my friend or, you know, a a dating partner or, you know, whatever, I just wasn't going to go down that road. And so those were those were two lines that I, I drew very early on. Okay. So why did you stop? You know, I stopped because at one point, you know, I had a child and my eight-year-old heard me on the phone one day and said, you know, dad, are you a hacker? And I I said, no, 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 I'm not a hacker. You know, I, you know, I get information. A lot of times it helps get people better. You know, I went into my whole song and dance of rationalization and my child said, but it's dishonest. And that was like a light bulb moment where I, I said, yes, yes, it is. And that was the moment where I said I have to get out of this business. Um, and that was when I began to extract, to you know, extricate myself and and you know, and basically you know, get out, shut it down, and then figure out what the heck else I was going to do with my life. And when was this? This was right after the crash of 2008. So, you know, shortly thereafter was when I, my, I ended my corporate spying career, which is also why I can write a book about it now, because the statute of limitations has expired on any potential crimes that I may or may not have committed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> may or may not have committed. <laughs> Saying very close to the edge indeed. Yeah.
1: Okay. So does corporate spying still go on today? Oh, yeah. My goodness gracious. Yes. And and it's funny, you know, when my book was about to come out, well, here are the two biggest surprises. So so my book is about to come out and a corporate spy that I had trained many years earlier calls me up um, in a panic. First, he's sending me texts, you know, call me. It's an emergency. And I didn't respond. I hadn't spoken to him in 10 years. And so, you know, I, I thought maybe he was wanted to borrow money or, you know. So I don't respond for the longest time. And finally, I see a phone number on my phone. That's my mother's phone number. And so I'm like, oh, my God, my mom's calling. I answer it and it's him. And um, call spoofing is something that calls that spies use all the time to get you to pick up your phone because you recognize the number because they're you know using call spoofing to get a number to show us something that it's not. And so here it is, this corporate spy, and he's in a panic because he thinks my book is going to end corporate spying. It's like it's like, you know, my book is a whistleblowing book and corporations are going, oh, my gosh, we're stopping spying. And I, I, I mean, I literally almost fell over laughing you know, that my friend was so panicked that my book, you know, my one book ruse is going to stop corporate spying all over the world. It was it was hilarious. It was ludicrous because corporate spying, you know, has existed since the beginning of time. Right. You know, the the story of the guy that invented the wheel. Actually, the guy who invented the wheel never got credit for somebody else because he stole that design. Right. There was somebody else who saw the guy inventing the wheel and he stole it. Right. Uh, So corporate spying will always be around. And the other thing that was shocking was that when the book came out, I cannot tell you how many corporations reached out to me and said, Robert, we read your book. We love your book. Will you please come and spy for us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or help us, I, I be, first, help us to be,
0: yeah. to prevent us from being sucker punched by one. Well,
1: well, well, and that I get asked to do and that I'm happy to do. But but I have to tell you, in the beginning, most of the requests were for the spying. And I said, look, guys, don't you realize that I've, I've outed myself as a spy by writing this book? I can't spy anymore. You know, I wouldn't be mm-hmm. a very smart spy yeah. if I wrote a book telling about all my escapades and then I, and then I continued to do those. Right. Um, so that was that, that was really shocking. So, yeah, corporate spying alive and well. OK, so you name dropped earlier
0: in your acting, you've worked with, oh goodness me, who did you say? J-Lo, Paul Newman, Yuka Ono, George Clooney, Madonna, O.J. Simpson, Kevin Spacey, Al Pacino. I, I mean, there's many, many more, which is awesome. But give me some inside gossip now. Mm. So who was perhaps your favourite or favourites? And yeah let's 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 go with that let's i'll leave you i'll leave the door open for you to walk into
1: yeah well i'm gonna this is gonna be controversial so hang with me for a moment so my favorite was oj simpson oh right oj simpson so I was again, young actor. I'm in L.A. Um, you know, actors you know need jobs. And in the beginning, you can't be too picky. And so my manager calls me one day and he says, hey, look, you know, they're doing um, an exercise video um, and they need some guys. And I said to my manager, whoa, 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 you know, I'm, I'm the worst dancer in the history of mankind. You know, I can't do any sort of, you know, exercise dancing video. He said, no, 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 no. It's going to be an exercise video for guys. It's O.J. Simpson's exercise video. And I loved OJ Simpson. I was a big football fan. You know, I, you know, he was pretty good in a couple of movies. You know, I watched him on Monday Night Football where he was the announcer for many years. And I said, oh, wow. Okay, I'm in. And so I show up to do this exercise video where, you know, OJ Simpson is the lead guy and it's his video. And um, there's a dance floor. And I'm introduced to this guy who's the choreographer and I begin to panic because I'm literally the worst dancer ever, you know, <laughs> and, and the choreographer has us go through some sequences and there are these two beautiful women that are dancers and they're in the video. And, and right after we do this sequence. The choreographer comes over me. He looks, you know, like pale as a ghost. And he's like, how did you get this job? Like, basically, you're the worst. <laughs> you're fired. Uh, yeah. And OJ and OJ says, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. You can't fire Rob because Rob's dancing is so bad. It's making me look good. good. Yeah. And And that was a very valuable lesson I learned early on, which was rule number one in Hollywood, make the star look good. And my bad dancing was making OJ look good and it was making him more comfortable in this video. So he was like, no, 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 no. Rob stays. Rob's going to stand behind me. And so that if anybody's looking at anything bad, they're going to be looking at him. Right. Um, And somehow that moment bonded us. Somehow that made us friends. And the rest of the shoot, OJ was my buddy, was my pal. He's an incredibly gregarious guy. He pulls me aside at one point. He says, hey, look, I just shot this uh, pilot for NBC um, called Navy Seals. I'm uh, I'm one of the leads in it. I play. Wait for it. A knife expert. You can't make this stuff up. So OJ was (laughs) playing a knife expert (laughs) in the show, which was about to be a series on NBC, of course, before the murders. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, And in my head, I'm like, wow, OJ loves me. He's going to get me a job on Navy SEALs. Like, you know, I'm going to be, he's like, oh yeah, I'm going to introduce you. You're going to be on my show, you know, and I'm like, this is amazing, you know. Well, then it starts to get dark. There's this beautiful blonde woman uh, who's one of the dancers. And of course, at the time, I had no idea who Nicole Brown Simpson was, his ex-wife. Um, later, obviously, I learned. And this woman was, I'm not going to say the spitting image of Nicole Brown Simpson, but for sure, the, the resemblance was rem- remarkable. And he starts hitting on this woman. He starts sexually harassing this woman in front of everyone, um, saying really offensive things. Um, at one point, I pull her aside and I say, look, you know, um, you don't have to take this. We can call the Screen Actors Guild. We can get a monitor come down here. And of course, you know, this is, you know, 90s, you know, where, you know, the there was no Me Too movement. Women, unfortunately, had to just basically kind of smile, you know, you know, smile and grin. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't want to lose her job. She didn't want to get blackballed. Maybe she wanted to be on the Navy SEALs series, too. Um, so, you know, we all had to just kind of put up with O.J. sexually harassing this woman in front of everyone. Um, and, um so obviously that changed my opinion uh, of OJ. And of course, I didn't even know about what was to come. And then um, obviously a week later, you know, I'm sitting in my apartment and I see OJ in the white Bronco fleeing down the 405, you know, trying to escape. And, you know, the rest, of course, is, you know, you know, legendary and infamous. And that exercise video that I did was introduced into evidence in the trial Um Uh, I was asked to go on to many, many shows and, and speak about OJ. Um, all of which I turned down because I, I didn't want to be paid money to, um, to do that. You know, I, I didn't feel that that was right out of respect for the two people that were murdered. And also that, you know, I was a actor, you know, I wanted to be a successful actor. I wasn't a, you know, you know, whatever you, you call those people that do that. Um, so, yeah, it, it was crazy. And then the Capra was, I mean, O.J. would never leave my life. And indeed, a few years ago, they did a series with Cuba Gooding Jr. playing O.J., um, and they recreated the exercise video for the series, which means an actor was hired to play me. <laughs> <laughs> and how was their dancing, Robert? Their dancing was hilarious. LAUGHTER um, <laughs> And the, the funniest thing is my wife is screaming. You know, she's watching the show. I, I'd had enough of OJ to last me a lifetime, yeah. so I wasn't watching it. And she's screaming, come downstairs, come downstairs. And I come down, and I see this guy. He's wearing a red headband, which I never would have agreed to wear in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, so he looks like me. He's dressed like me, but he's added a red ha- hairband. And when I saw that, I literally fell onto the ground. I was laughing so hard. <laughs>
0: okay one of my favorite actresses who i adore i think she's gorgeous extremely versatile
1: also but more so gorgeous j-lo oh yes yeah and and i mean look i met her um at a party um and then uh the It was a big producer's house and, you know, and he had season tickets to the Dodgers and, you know, and he would always see beautiful young people there and he would say, hey, you know, here's some tickets to the game. And so that's how I ended up going to a Dodgers game with J-Lo. I I don't think she was necessarily into me. And for a brief moment at the game, I thought she might be. And then I realized she was just into baseball. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, she but she was. You know, she was one of those people you met. And I've had this happen a couple of times where you meet someone and you just go, this person is going to be a star. Yeah. You just not only was she beautiful, her personality, her kindness, like she just she just glowed. Uh, so it was no surprise to me um, that she's become, you know, one of the biggest stars on the planet. Oh, yeah. The X Factor for sure. X Factor for sure. Yeah. OK. One for the ladies then. George Clooney. Yeah. 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 Now, it's funny, George, I, I would not have said X Factor for George. Um, um, and indeed, when I met George, I was brought on to a TV show called Sisters. George had a recurring part on Sisters, and my character was a hitman, and I was brought on to kill George. So I murdered George Clooney um, because he had to move on to a, another TV show, which you probably never heard of, called ER. Oh, yeah. Never heard that one. <laughs> never heard of that show. And and when we were shooting Sisters, when we had lunch, George said, hey, do you want, he said, do you know why you're killing me? And I said, no, I have no idea. And he said, oh, I'm about to do this new show um, with Steven Spielberg and Michael Crichton. It's called ER. Uh, you want me to show you the set? And I said, uh, yeah, OK, sure. You know, we only got an hour for lunch and I'd heard the lines of the commissary were long. We we're on the Warner Brothers lot. He takes me over to the ER set, which was dark that day. Um, and he walks me through the set, and he's so excited, and he's telling me, you know, about the show, and and he's basically saying, I'm praying that this show is going to be successful, because I've done six pilots, and none of them have been picked up, um, and this is my seventh, and if this one doesn't go, uh, I feel like, you know, my career is over, you know, uh, I'm no kid, you know, he was a couple years older than me, you know, and he was basically lamenting that, you know, he didn't think he was going to make it. His career wasn't going to happen. You know, he was he was basically you know going on and on, um, and I was kind of like getting a little depressed listening to this guy. My career was going gangbusters. You know, I was like, man, this poor guy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I hope I, ho- I hope he makes it. You know, um, and of course, he had no idea that his career was going to explode. He was going to shortly thereafter. You know, he was named People's Sexiest Man of the Year, and ER was the number one show in the world and 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 obviously he never looked back. Um and it's just kind of a funny moment that I was there at that kind of, you know, um, you know, that kind of Forrest Gump moment like mm-hmm. seeing someone right before their life changed, you know. And that's one of the things I really like about Ruse is it's two books. Obviously the main part of the book is the corporate spying, but there's also all of these kind of crazy acting behind the scenes Hollywood moments where you you get to be with O.J. Simpson right before he murders two people. You get to see the seeds of of the behavior that make you understand how he could murder two people. You get to see George Clooney before he you know. You get to see Kevin Spacey attempting to molest me and hit on me. You get to see Paul Newman drinking beers, drinking a six pack of beers on a Sunday morning. You know, uh, so you get you get you get this kind of Hollywood inside story too so rook ruse is kind of two books in one yeah i was just going to come on to your book but
0: you talk about kevin spacey hitting on you we can't let that one go can we
1: no so um, tell me about kevin no, spacey you know i mean it's it, it's a it's a sad story because you know kevin spacey um was um in the closet as a gay man. Um, and, um, you know, I have a lot of empathy for anyone that can't be who they truly want to be, um, because of the pressures they feel from society. You know, we should all, you know, we should all be free to be whoever we want to be, as long as we're not hurting someone else. Right. Yeah. Um, and, um, Kevin, um, Obviously was closeted because I guess he felt like, you know, Hollywood couldn't accept uh, a gay man um, in leading roles. And so he was in the closet. Um, And so he had to use a lot of rusing, subterfuge, Mm -hmm. manipulation, trickery. To get people to you know to sleep with him, and so he would pretend to want to help your career, which is what he did with me. That um, he was going to get me a big agent and blah blah blah, and he wanted me to come up to his apartment so we could discuss my career and how he could help me. Um, and you know, look, I, you know, I <laughs> I come from obviously, as you know, the car business. I know a little bit about you know sales, um, and I could tell that he was you know giving me a sales pitch. And I was pretty sure that when I got up to his apartment, we would not be discussing my acting career. Um, And so I was fortunate because, you know, I I had, you know, the kind of background to recognize, you know, when I was being rused um, and I very politely said I would not be doing that. Um, but I'm sure, you know, there were plenty of other guys that got up there and, and found themselves, you know, backed into a proverbial corner with Kevin Spacey.
0: Mm, shame, shame to hear. Yeah. Okay, your book, Ruse. Why? Why did you write it? Mm. And I think you've alluded to why now, because the statute yeah. of limitations has allowed you to do it. So... Let me make a couple of guesses here. I think probably as an actor and the way you're presenting now, you're probably a very good storyteller. Mm. I would probably guess that. Now, if you like writing, I don't know whether that's the case. Was Did you always want to write a book and this just happened to be the one? So why? Why create the book?
1: Yeah, So great question. Again, I was an English major in college um, and before I even um, was into acting and all that was my major. I was an English major, um, but um, I couldn't sit still to really write very much. You know, I was a hyperactive young guy. And as we discussed earlier, I got into the theater and I fell in love with the theater. And so then I put kind of writing, you know, basically never did any writing, you know, and. Um, even though I was always a huge reader and I love books. Um, and when I gave up the spying, I had the proverbial midlife crisis. And one day I was sitting down, I was really um, depressed, and I wrote a suicide note. Um, now, it wasn't me writing the suicide note. It wasn't, hi, I'm Robert, and I'm so depressed, you know. It was this character that came through me. And it was just this, you know, um, strange moment that we all have in life where something happens that we never, ever would have planned, we never would have expected. And in this moment, I basically wrote a short story about somebody wanting to kill themselves. And even though the character was not me, everything in it was true because I was having those feelings. I was feeling that way. And I read it to an actor friend of mine. And he said, you know, that that's pretty good. It's pretty powerful. You know, you should... Right. You should go back to your your roots and write. And that started me writing. I started writing short stories. um, to my uh, great surprise, I started getting them published in magazines. Um, you know, I wrote maybe 20 or 30 of them. They all got published. Um, they started to get some attention. I started to go to some writing conferences. And at one of the writing conferences, I wrote a little bit about rusing and people reacted you know they liked my short stories but they loved this piece that i wrote about rusing. and um they said you know oh my god we didn't know corporate spying exists we never even heard of such a thing you have to write a book about that and that was basically the the genesis for the book um i got sidelined so that ruse wasn't my first book because i live in malibu and a few years ago your audience may recall there was a horrific wildfire uh, the worst wildfire in los angeles history that burned down Uh, nearly half of my town. Um, My neighborhood, we have 270 homes. We lost 200. Um, 17 of 19 on my street burned to the ground. And my wife, child, and I fought that fire, saved our house. Um, The LA Times asked me to write an essay about that experience, which I did. A publisher read that essay and said, hey, will you write a book about the Malibu fire, Um, which I did. And that book is called Malibu Burning. Um, And that book um, did very well. It won a couple of awards, um, and it really inspired me to then write another book, which was Ruse. Okay. So let's now talk about the book Ruse. It's
0: now published, right? It was published and released in February 2022? Uh,
1: It was actually a little later than that because of – remember, uh, as we were coming out of COVID, we had all these supply chain issues. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. um, they were all, you know, it, it, like books, getting books made, getting books out. It took longer. Um, but yeah, the book, um, was released last year from Penguin Random House. Um, and, um, yeah, it's been a, just a, a wonderful thing. They've been fantastic and supporting it. And even now the book today is ranked higher. Um, it's, Top five, top four in multiple categories on Amazon. I, I was laughing the other day. There was a, m- the publisher sent me an email that, uh, you just passed Steve Jobs in biographies of business leaders. <laughs> wow. That, that's an awesome accolade, huh? <laughs> awesome. awesome. They're, Excellent. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're actually framing, they, they, they took a picture of the, you know, like a screenshot and they're making a, um, a picture of it and they're framing it and sending it to me oh
0: excellent excellent so the book ruse tell us about the book how is it structured who is it written for and is it an understanding of a venture for the reader or or is there some greater purpose to it
1: you know, I wrote it during COVID, um, or I finished it during COVID, because obviously I had started it a little bit earlier, and then, and then the fire happened in 2018, and then I wrote in 2019, Malibu Burning, and then in 2020, I came back to writing Ruse. Um, so I wrote it during COVID. Obviously, that was a terrible time for the planet, and so I wanted to write something that was fun, believe it or not. I wanted to write a page-turner, and so some of the reviews of Ruse, I've been very fortunate, and they, they say, look, it, it, this book reads like a spy novel, but it's all true. And I, I like to say that I've written an honest book about lying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that paradox. Very good. Very good.
1: So is it a, is it a novel? Is that what it is? That no, what it's, it is? It, no, it's nonfiction. It's nonfiction. Okay. So, um, you know, everything in it is true, but it reads like, uh, you know, a novel because it's it scenes, it, it moves quickly. It's a page turner. Um, you know, you're wondering. You know, is he going to jail? You know, is OJ going to murder him? Uh, you know, is is he, is he going to sleep with Kevin Spacey? You know, you know, there's a lot. You know, is, is Madonna is Madonna really that horrible? Uh,
0: yes, <laughs> I can yes. imagine she is. Yes. Yes. yes, yes, that comes across. I didn't need to ask that question, but mm-hmm. in fact, I when we last spoke a few weeks ago, I thought this is fascinating. I must get this book before we do the interview. Robert, I've ordered it, but it's not yet arrived. Yeah, That's yeah. why I'm asking. So I'm yeah. eagerly awaiting. I'm going on vacation in a couple of weeks, and I just hope I get it to take with me then, and I'm sure I'll be laughing, and uh, I'll, I'll get m- get my wife and family to listen to this show. So uh, yeah, uh, awesome, awesome uh, stories to share. So what about film and TV? Do you think anything will come from it? You think it would be a, well, a good movie?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah. I mean, it's all happening right now. And, and as you can imagine, I, I have to be careful what I say exactly, mm-hmm. but um, there are a lot of um, proverbial bidders um, and some of them want to make it into a movie. Some of them want to make it into a TV series. Um, I think Ruse would be a fun TV series, but I'm, I'm sure it would be a fun movie as well. Um, so, you know, um, fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, it's very exciting. It's very exciting. Um, and there have been a lot of huge features recently. You know, the ruse got picked up in some of the biggest newsletters. Um, you know, one of them is called Morning Brew and others called 1440. And these are newsletters that, you know, they basically, you know, compile the best stories of the day, whether it's news, whether it's a story like mine and a number of these like five or six of them featured ruse in the last week or two which of course you know makes it really a big you know uh, you know it's just great for sales because it it's getting the word out there about the book because then you know more and more people are learning about it yeah
0: we we had a show in the UK with british actors a tv series and it was called grifters mm and are you familiar with that have you heard of it no oh, okay no. Well, it's a similar kind of thing so each week they'd have a, a new ruse and the whole right. the one hour show was about them executing the ruse, ah. and that uh, they're called grifters. So wow. uh, it, it it was very 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 popular. So I'm sure it would make a great movie or great TV series, whichever. I wish you all the best with it. But you also mentioned it's on Audible too.
1: So are you it voicing is, yeah. it? Are you? Voicing I did. Yeah. Thank you. That's a, a very astute that you saw that that yeah. You know, when you write a book of nonfiction, you know Malibu Burning, which you know obviously again is a true story, and I narrated that uh, the audio book for that, and yeah, I uh, I narrated the audiobook for Ruse because look, it's it's my life story; it doesn't make any sense for anyone else to do it.
0: Sure. Well, I have a few Audible credits under my arm, so when we finish mm. this show, I'm going to go on there and get. So I have your book for my vacation, so that that'll be cool. That's great. Okay, so now, Robert, I'm going to ask you a question that I ask everyone who comes on to the show. Are you ready for this question?
1: I don't think so, but go ahead.
0: (laughs) Okay, I think I ask it to everyone, but I think from you, for me, it's the most anticipated because I'm thinking, how on earth will he answer this one? So, Mm -hmm. Robert Kerbeck, what is... The most important thing you have ever learned
1: um i think the most important thing is to grind right life jobs careers relationships you know difficult right difficult you know and so you know you just got to keep grinding you know you got to just keep moving forward when you have the inevitable failures Um, you know, you just got to get back to work, you know, Um, you know, when you lose a job, when you make a mistake, when you say something you shouldn't, when you do something you shouldn't, you know, you just got to go, Okay, I'm going to I learned from that mistake, you know, and I'm going to get back to it now, you know. And so I think that there's something about that. And I remember, you know, in America, we have this great football player, Peyton Manning, um, who had this amazing long career in the NFL. Um, Some people might say he's the greatest quarterback of all time he's certainly one of the greatest um and i heard him talk about the importance of grinding um and i think it's it's a you know it's it's you know just kind of about that determination and grit um that i think successful people have okay
0: very very topical um thank you for that i'm going to take you back now to your acting days prior to mm. espionage because i know how difficult it is, not because I'm an actor, because I have friends who are actors. And there's, they spend more time not acting between yeah. jobs than they do acting. So yeah. f- so for you, Robert, uh, you've already alluded that as an actor, it was okay, but unless you make it big, you're not earning much money really, and you're, yeah. you know. So how? what did you do to grind, to keep on going? and to keep on believing in yourself that something will come as an actor yeah
1: yeah well look you know i i was fortunate that i kept getting jobs that kept propelling me you know so that i kept moving up you know so that you know the idea that i was going to have a successful career as an actor and of course you know you you said it really well earlier on the program on the introduction you know what is the definition of success Mm -hmm. you know how do you define success look a lot of people will look at me and go uh i was and i would never use this word to describe me you know a a failed actor you know and and sometimes people i've seen things they they describe me as a wannabe actor well i'm here to tell you that i have a pension from the screen actors guild do you know how many people get a pension from the screen actors guild i have no idea what what is it Probably one percent out of all the members that are that are a member of the Screen Actors Guild, you know, so I kind of describe myself like when we think of professional sports and we think of um, a baseball team, you know, there are 25 teams, uh, 25 players on um, um, uh, a professional baseball, Major League Baseball team. OK, so I was the number 24 guy on the team. <laughs> you know, I was number 25 on the team, but I was in the majors, you know what I mean? I played, there was a, you know, there was a baseball card of me and indeed there's a Star Trek card of me. Right. Um, so, um, you know, I made more than, you know, when I was working as an actor, I made more than 95% of the members of the screen actors guild. Um, so, uh, you know, I think for me, I kept getting jobs. I kept going, you know, it kept going forward, but there was a point where I booked four pilots like my comrade, George Clooney, who had six before he hit it. And I did four and none of those pilots got made into a series. And that was when kind of the the wind went out of my sails where all of a sudden I went, wow, you know, now I'm in my mid thirties uh, like George Clooney was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't I didn't get my ER. I didn't get the show that that, you know, was lightning in a bottle. And look, in life for your audience, most people don't get the lightning in a bottle. You know what I mean? Most people don't get that George Clooney moment. You know, that's why I think what's so cool is I was there for that moment right before his life changed in a way that he could never have imagined. No one could ever imagine because it's so rare. Most of us don't have the level of success that we would like. So so what does that mean? How do we handle that? And I think that's the important thing. Secrets of success. The secret of success is to go, look, You know, most likely I'm not going to be as rich as I would like to be. Most likely I'm not going to be as famous as I'd like to be. Most likely I'm not going to be as happy as I think I would like to be. But you can still be happy. You can still be successful. And I think that's about the expectations around those issues you know, um, and when I entered into this writing career, obviously later in life, a very famous writer said that to me. He said, you have to decide the kind of writing career that you're going to be happy with and just have that career. You know, you know, I'm not into writing today to, you know, I don't know, you know, become a famous writer. I could care less. I just want to write a good book that is fun to read, that people enjoy. That's it. Okay, and will it end with just the two books, or are you working on something new now? I've got two other books that are done. One is fiction, and the other is nonfiction. And again, for obvious reasons, I can't say a whole lot about them. Um, but yeah, I've got two other books that are done, and, and you know they'll be coming out you know sometime, most likely next year. Okay,
0: so we have a new career then as an author. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, so one book a year,
1: maybe, maybe building the series. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, for sure, if Ruse is made into a TV series or even a film, I will be involved Um, because, you know, when you write a book like Ruse, you can't put every crazy story. There's just not enough room. So there are plenty of ploys and ruses that didn't make it into the book and then they they would make it into a TV series. Okay,
0: we're coming to the close of the show, unfortunately, but there's a couple of questions I still want to ask. Mm. We talked about as an actor you're earning tens of thousands then hundreds of thousands and then in your rusing espionage you're making millions of dollars
1: yeah
0: how do you earn millions of dollars or let me put that another way what kind of information is worth someone paying you that kind of money
1: well, I always give an example, you know, think about um, if you could identify and remember a lot of this rusing or much of this rusing I was doing is pre-LinkedIn, you know, LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn was invented 2005, 2006, but it really didn't take off until after the crash of 2008. So LinkedIn really didn't ex- started to explode to about 2009, 2010, which obviously was not that long ago. Before that, people didn't know who was at rival firms, Let alone who the rock stars were at that firm. So imagine if I were able to in that era, identify who were the designers, for example, of the iPad in the early days of the iPad development. Imagine if I were able to identify those people and then you were able to, you know, as in my client was able to steal those people away because I'd identified them. So they now weren't working for Apple anymore. They were stolen. And when when a rock star talent leaves one firm, what do they bring with them? Their secrets. Right. And so now all of a sudden you've poached, you've stolen the the brains behind, you know, an early version of the iPad. And now you're developing the iPad before Apple. Those are the that's the value, you know, and how much would that have been worth? Clearly billions and billions of dollars. And so corporate intelligence like that is worth significant amounts of money and firms pay significant amounts of money for that type of intelligence. Yeah, it's all
0: becoming clear now. I, I'm a fan of Formula One. And you mm. see you see these people within the Formula One teams get paid huge amounts of money. And there are rock stars. So the, the number one aerodynamicist in the world is mm. Adrian Newey. So mm. he was working for McLaren, and then out of the blue, he leaves for a career change, and he's with Christian Horner at Red Bull. So, yeah. And I'm thinking, yeah. how on earth does that happen, and, and why does that happen? And someone, somewhere like you,
1: made that happen for, for Red Bull. Yeah. For now, sure. look, that that gentleman was sort of in the public eye. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. But in the case of designers and in the case of Apple in the case of Mr. Steve Jobs, um, he was uh, legendary in terms of protecting information like that so much so that his designers were not even listed in the Apple corporate directory because he knew how valuable it would be if a rival were to learn who was on that iPad development team, the 20 people on that team or the 50 people on that team or the two, whatever so he wouldn't even allow them to be listed in the directory. And Apple has historically been one of the best firms at protecting their secrets. They're really quite amazing. Um, And most firms are pathetic. Um, I mean, I'm here to tell you 45 minutes, I could penetrate pretty much any firm that you or a client would like me to penetrate. And in about 45 minutes, I can learn pretty much whatever I wanna know about a company.
0: That's amazing, isn't it? Terrifying and amazing. So Robert, we've come to the end of the show. If someone wants to reach out to you, how do we do that?
1: Yeah, and I would love that. By the way, you know, um, if you're looking to pivot into a new career as a corporate spy, reach out, and I will give you uh, a couple of tips. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do we do that? How do we contact you? Uh, you know, I, it, the easiest way is my website. Um, it's just my name, you know, robertkerbeck K E R B E C K. Um, and you can, um, email me directly from my site. You know, there's no filter. I respond to every email. Um, you can also obviously find me on social media, which it's all just my name, Robert Kerbeck. Um, but if you go to my website, you can buy my books there. You can also see the trailer for Ruse is up so you can get a sense of what the TV series might look like. Um, and, um, yeah, I look forward to if anybody wants to reach out, if they have any questions about the, you know, the secret world of corporate spying, I will, uh, I will clue them in.
0: Well, I can honestly say you've been a pleasure to talk to. Even our first chat, it was just straight in there. What a lovely, lovely guy. Unfortunately, that's it for today. I would love to question you some more. Maybe we'll get you on back on the show for one of your other books. But for today, Robert Kerbeck, you've been truly amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. And to you, the listener, thank you for listening to The Secrets of Success. I hope the show has helped to ignite your passion, to be a catalyst for action and giving you some insight into what happens on the other side of the fence. If you've enjoyed the show, please hit the follow button, leave a review. But most importantly, here's what I'd like you to do. Please share the show. That's the thing that makes a difference pass the show on to someone else even if it's only just one person i mean this show with robert is just so fascinating and it uh, teaches us so much about what goes on behind closed doors and the other jobs that actors do to make a living so please like review and share with a friend and on another note <clears throat> i'm always searching for great success stories so if you'd like to be a guest on the show or you'd like to nominate a guest please reach out to me you can get me easily at jeff-smith.com that's where you can find out all the information and you know what I really would love to hear from you so Robert thank you again you've been truly amazing that's all for today and thank you for listening and have a great day